Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey, good morning. I want to welcome you if we have not yet met. My name is Kyle Corcoran, and I'm the associate pastor here at the Grove, and I'm filling in for Pastor Christian as he and his family are on vacation. They are in, where I believe they're in Fort Worth, Texas now, and then later in the week they will be making their way to Lubbock, which is West Texas, which is, you know, nearly, you know, Campbell's back there saying, you're right, all right, I, I got it, good. Uh, and so one of my primary roles is to lead, as the associate pastor, is to lead the Grove students. And I really like asking them questions. Some of them are good questions, and some of them are not so good questions sometimes. Uh, And so I want to ask you guys a question this morning. Did you ever grow up watching a movie, and then after many years, end up watching that same movie again, and come to the realization that it was much better as a memory? All right, all right, yeah, so raise your hand if you're with me. Okay, so you, yes, for me, that movie is... The Mighty Ducks. All right, there's a number of movies that that fit into that category, but The Mighty Ducks for me falls into that category. It was so much better as a memory. Like, they were actually, like, in my mind, they were good at hockey. But, like, they are, it's just just not good. But but for for, for me, there, there has been no other movie that has spurred me into action more than The Mighty Ducks has. After watching the Mighty Ducks, I wanted to play hockey. And then I went and played hockey. We played, first my brother and I, we would play street hockey. And then it, it, it turned into roller hockey and co- coercing my parents to sign me up for roller hockey. And then it ended up turning into ice hockey and played ice hockey from about fourth or fifth grade into my, my sophomore year uh, of high school. When we see an underdog like the Mighty Ducks win, it inspires us. An underdog, as, we, as we've talked about, is the, is the predicted or expected loser. They are the perceived long shot. They're, they're an easy target for victory, and this is true for the Mighty Ducks. Uh, in, in all three movies, actually. It was such a long shot for them to win, but that's why, that's why I liked it so much. That's probably why you like it so much as well. And for the last six weeks, we've been looking at this series. We've been in this series called God and the Underdogs. And in this series, we've done a a flyover of the Bible of sorts. And as we've done that, we've peeled back the curtain on a couple of key biblical characters whom God has invited to join him in his work. But here's the thing. None of these people, none of these guys and none of these gals uh, that God invited to, to join him in his work, none of them felt worthy of the call. Because for various reasons, they were the underdog. They, they were the long shot. They were the perceived loser. The odds were against them. Either they were an underdog because everybody knew it, or they were an, an underdog because of how they perceived themselves. They took a good look at themselves, and then they, they took a good hard look at what God had called them to do, and they said, they're like, man, that, whoa, that's, that's not me. God, I think that you've made a mistake here. You've, you've got the wrong person. And here's the thing. God calls the underdogs to join him in his work. It's not something that happens every once in a while, as we've seen in this series, but it happens more often than not. God is notorious. 
He's notorious for calling underdogs to join him in his work. He invites them in to do his work. Just, just as he invited Moses to do his work, this guy with the speech impediment. And he invited Daniel, and he invited Gideon, this guy who was so uncertain of himself. And he invited Hannah, as we've seen, who, who felt unseen by God. Let alone all of Jesus' ancestors who had all kinds of problems. That, that, and what, but what all these people had in common was is that they were all invited by God to join him in his ultimate plan of redemption. And God used them. And just as God used the underdogs back then, he's inviting us to join him in his work today. But when this, when this invitation happens, we take a good look at ourselves, and then we take a good look at what God's calling us to do, and then we look back at ourselves, and then we look back at the work that God has calling us to do, and we say, we, there ain't no way. There's no way that I could do that. God, I think that you've made a mistake. I think that you've got the wrong person. There's no way that, that this can work out. This, this can't work out. I think one of the ways that, one of the reasons why we like underdog stories so much is because we can relate to them on a heart level. We're, we're drawn into them. We, we love hearing about how they, how they stuck with it and how they didn't give up and how they overcame certain challenges. It's inspirational for us, except when the tables are turned. And then God invites us in to do the work that he's called us to do. And then automatically we feel inadequate and underqualified and doubt creeps in. And when, when you feel this way, doubt creeps in. And you begin to say to yourself, well, I can't do that. And that's too hard. And then you start chucking excuses at it. I can't talk to people like that. And, and then, you, then you throw in all this knowledge stuff. I don't know enough about the Bible. And then you, then you throw your family under the bus. My family's a wreck. And then you throw yourself under the bus. I'm a wreck. You, you don't know all the problems that I have. And then, then you start lumping your calendar in there. I don't have enough time for this sort of thing. I, 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 have, I have kids or there's nap time. Like there's, there's not enough time for this sort of thing, God. But regardless of, of our situation or regardless of our season, God is calling you and he's calling me and he's calling everybody else here in this room to join him in his work. Regardless of how we feel about it. Because God is notorious for calling the underdogs, for, for calling the long shots, for calling all the other wrong people to join him in his work. Now, if you're here today and, and all this is, is new for you, church is, is new for you, I, I really hope that you enjoy the time and I'm, I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. And if you happen to have any questions, then I would love to connect with you either this morning or, or at another time. But what, what I want all of us to know is this, is that when someone has trusted Jesus, their allegiance has changed. It's now their heart's desire to live for, for him and him alone. And they want to do whatever God has invited them to do. They, they, they want to do this. But sometimes a Christian will become timid or, or afraid when God invites them to do a work in a specific way. Because they start looking at themselves and they start saying, I don't, I don't have all those giftings or qualities or qualifications. Instead of looking at, at Jesus and how he can work through them. So the question for us today is, how do we engage with 
what God is calling us to do, especially when we feel underqualified or under-equipped or unsure of ourselves or even when we feel small or, or insignificant or even unworthy. unworthy. So in the Bible, there, there are two letters to the Corinthian church. The Apostle Paul, he's, he's the author of both of these letters. And today we're going to see how the letter 2 Corinthians uh, can help us turn away from looking at ourselves and instead look to Jesus. Uh, so we can turn away from looking at our, ourselves and our own inadequacies and, and look to him instead and see how he can equip us for the work that he calls us to do. Not so that way we can have confidence in ourselves, but so that way we can have confidence in him. So in general, the Apostle Paul, he's not somebody that we would consider an underdog. I, I would say that he's probably second in line next to Jesus and being the most influential person to help advance the cause of Christianity, the, advance the, the kingdom of God uh, in, in that way. He's number two, all right? But he's not the guy that we would have picked to do this, um, to help advance the kingdom of God. But in our minds, he's, he's the wrong guy. But since God is notorious for using the wrong people and these underdogs to, to advance his kingdom, God invited Paul, this persecutor of Christians, to join him in his work and to plant a ton of churches and tell a ton of people about who Jesus is. But because Paul had, had joined God in his work and is living as Jesus has called for him to live, he was suffering in the name of Jesus. So in Corinth, so uh, there was a group of false teachers that is called, they're called super apostles, all right? They're, these guys were, they were super because they were elevating themselves and they were elevating their credentials. And in doing so, they were diminishing Paul and they were, they were putting him down. So these, these super apostles, they had made their way into the Corinthian church and they were accusing Paul of not being a legitimate apostle because he was suffering. And these, these super apostles, they were not suffering. And, and these, these super apostles, they had letters of recommendation, but Paul didn't have any letters of recommendation. And these super apostles, they were eloquent speakers, but Paul, he wasn't. He wasn't a good teacher. He's much like Moses. So Paul, he writes this letter that we call, now call 2 Corinthians to engage the situation that's going on in Corinth, a church that he started, by the way. And he's writing to defend his apostleship because these super apostles, they were changing the qualifications for apostles. And because they were changing the qualifications for apostleship, they were tampering with the message of Jesus, which is just not okay. So in the midst of a compassionate but complicated letter between Paul and the Corinthian church, we can learn from Paul's situation and the truths that come from it, and we can apply them to our lives, especially when we feel inadequate or unqualified to do the work that God has called us to do. So personally for me, this passage has been very helpful in, in the past of instead of looking to myself in, in my own shortcomings and focusing in on what I, what I can't do, it's helped me to see what Jesus has done and how he can work through us. So as we, as we read this, I want us to focus, I want us to, to notice two things. Verse 16, when Paul asks the question about who's adequate for these things, and then how he answers that question on adequacy in verse 5. So there are Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. If you don't have one, that one's yours, free of charge. Uh, you can take that home with you today. Uh, but you can find the rest of the information on the screen. 
we'll get going here in right now. But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. And through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing. To some we are an aroma of death leading to death. But to others an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before others. We're going to skip down to verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. So in verses 14 through 16, Paul wants these super apostles and he wants the Corinthian church to see that God is using Paul, a Christian who is suffering, to to make Jesus known everywhere he goes. And so he uses this example of a Roman triumphal procession to explain this, this, to explain this. So a, if you don't know, a Roman triumphal procession is kind of like a victory parade. It's very similar to what the chiefs are, uh, or what Kansas City is getting really used to today. Um, so the, we are getting used to throwing victory parades, all right, in Kansas City. So if, if a Roman general, yeah, you, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, there was a time when we weren't, but now we are, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, so, so now it, so, so if a Roman general had, had led his army to a military victory on foreign soil and there were more than 5,000 kills, the Roman emperor would throw a victory party for, or a victory parade for the Roman general who did this. And so in this parade, you can see the picture right there, there would be a number of things. There would be, the, the enemy would be there. They, they would be chained along, uh, dragging them along. The spoils of war would be in this parade. And there would also be Roman priests carrying incense. And those incense, they sparked and triggered different emotions for those who were there. The smell of the incense triggered for, for some people a certain reality. For the victorious, it was the smell of victory. For the defeated, it was a completely different reality. It was the smell of death. Because this, this group of people, they had been conquered, they had been defeated, and they were being led to their imminent death in one way, shape, or another. And Paul is using this example of this Roman victory parade and the incense in it to, to say, hey, listen, Jesus here, he's, he's the victorious general. And I'm in the parade with him. And in fact, there's other Christians that are in this parade with us. And because we're telling other people about Jesus, we we happen to be suffering because of it. And if I'm suffering and they're suffering, it's because we're we're following in Jesus' footsteps. The the, the super apostles that Paul is engaging with in his letter to the Corinthians, they didn't understand that suffering was part of following Jesus. They thought that it discredited you in some way, shape, or form. But Paul and the other Christians are suffering because they are living as Jesus had called them to live. 
And Paul's saying, hey, listen, look. God is using us, even if we're suffering, to spread the aroma of Jesus everywhere. I don't know if, if you need a, a refresher or not on the Mighty Ducks, but here it is. In each of the Mighty Ducks movies, uh, they had to pull off a giant victory, all right, to beat the best team. They're, well, so in the first movie, I think maybe somebody can help me out here. In the first movie, who do they have to beat? They have to beat... Uh, the Hawks. Okay, yes, you know. All right. Uh, and then in the second movie, they have to beat Iceland, I think. And then in the third movie, they're in high school, and they're the freshmen that have to beat the varsity. It's just, just a giant, it has to be a giant victory. Like, they have to pull out all the stops to make this happen. The work that God is calling us, us, the church, to is giant. It's no small order to spread the aroma of Christ everywhere. The church is called to a, a monumental work to, to do this. It's, it's huge. It's, it's, it's nearly impossible. Here, here are a couple of ways that we find in the Bible that describe how this, this actually plays out. So the first one is, is that every aspect of the Christian's life is to be used for God's glory. So this is what Jesus meant in Matthew 5.16 when he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And a Christian's also to be speaking as they go, which means that they're going to be talking about him wherever they go. So this is, even if it's on the other side of the world. So this is what Acts 1.8 says. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is kind of the city that's close, in all Judea, which is a little bit further, in Samaria, which is a little bit further than that, and that because they thought the earth was flat at this time, to the ends of the earth, so to the other side of the world. And to do this monumental work wherever they go, Christians are to serve as Jesus served. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And a Christian is to love without bounds like Jesus did, to love your neighbor as yourself. When, a, when Jesus is a Christian's general who's leading them in this monumental work, they're to love their enemies as Jesus did. This is what he said. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate, those, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his, his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But if you're like me, and you read this, and you look at all these things that we need to do to, to do this monumental work, you, have, you start to object. Who can do this? Who, who can do this? Who can actually be perfect like God? Who can actually spread the aroma of Jesus everywhere they go? I think it's right to ask this question. 
it's hard enough to even think about doing this, let alone trying it or actually making it come to fruition. It's impossible. To make his point, Paul asks the same question. This is what he says in the last part of verse 16. He says this, Who is adequate for these things? The Greek word for adequate is hekanos, which means enough or or sufficient or, or capable or competent. So what Paul is saying is, who is capable of doing this? Who is competent enough to be the aroma of Christ everywhere they go? Talking about Jesus every chance they have, serving, never being selfish, always loving their neighbor as themselves. When their enemy's out to get them, then they're praying for them, just in the same way that Jesus called them to do. And so what he's saying to the super apostles is the same thing that he's saying to himself and to the Corinthian church and even to us is this, is that no one in themselves is capable of meeting the standard of being, to be the aroma of Jesus. It's impossible. While Paul asked the question in verse 16, he also answers the question with God's qualifications. So we'll be in in verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 4 says this. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Paul's saying, hey, this is impossible if you're looking to yourself and to your own abilities to do what Jesus asks you to do. This is where we really feel inadequate and, in, and incapable. Because we're, we're looking at what God has called us to do, and then we're, then we're looking at ourselves, and then we're looking back at what God has called us to do, and you're, you're, you're saying, that's, that's Iceland there. We, there's no way that we can wait. Except if you're looking to Jesus to be your general, and you're trusting in his competence to make you competent for the work that he's called you to do. Well, then you have another story. Because then you're looking at what God has called us to do, and then you look at Jesus, and then you ask yourself, well, can he do that? And then you you come to the realization that he can. Then you look at the monumental work that God has called you to do, and you say, well, I can't do that, but he can, so maybe he can do that through me. We, we as Christians, we, we, we've trusted in Jesus. We're not, we're not confident in, in our own ability or our, or our own competence, but instead we are confident in the one who is competent, Jesus. Without Jesus, we're unable to do what he's called us to do. We're, we have no reason to talk to other people about Jesus. We have no reason to imitate the way that he serves. We have no reason to actually love our neighbor or to love our enemy. Because it would be impossible for us to do so. But if we do know Jesus and we have trusted in him, then he can work through us. When we put our trust in Jesus, he makes us worthy. He makes our relationship right with him, and he makes us worthy to do the work. This monumental work that he's called us to do. There's an exchange that happens when when we transfer our our trust from ourselves to Jesus. Our our sin and shame goes on to him, and Jesus then gives us his sinlessness. I 
I really like how 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. He says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All it takes is this transfer of trust from ourselves to him. From ourselves to Jesus. Because we can't save ourselves. Because Jesus did for you and I what we cannot do for ourselves. He alone is capable. He alone is adequate. He alone is competent to save us. He's the only one that can to, to make us worthy for the work that he's called us to do. Without Jesus, the church is unworthy to join God in his work. And in his, in his ultimate plan of redemption. But Jesus makes us worthy to do the work that he's called us to do. Like I mentioned earlier, Mighty Ducks is so much better of a movie in, in my memory. Uh, it's a, but it's a movie that, that has spurred me on to action and cost my parents in eventually a, a ton of money. Uh, uh, hockey is an expensive sport. It, it spurred me on because the Mighty Ducks, in every movie, they had every reason to quit. And what we can learn from Paul here is he had every reason to quit. But instead of quitting, he engages with the work that God has called him to do. He doesn't just give up and let the super apostles uh, come in and take over. He engages. But I love how he engages. He engages in a humble way, not bashing them, but actually elevating Jesus. Because Jesus makes us worthy and we have trusted in him, we engage with what he's called us to do. Even if, even if we feel unworthy or unsure or under-equipped or inadequate, because those of us who are in Christ, the church, is made worthy by Jesus, not by our abilities. So I'm going to, give you, I'm going to leave you with one practical uh, way to know how to engage. Uh, and this is very open-ended, uh, but find a running pack. So what do, I, what do I mean by a running pack? Is just find a group of people who are moving in that direction, who, who want to help see God's work, this monumental work moved forward, and join them. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for, for giving us your Son who makes us, us worthy for this work. Without you, we're inadequate. We're not able to do the work that you've called us to do. Help us to trust you. And help us to engage in your work because you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.